When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. It's kind of funny, but the deeper we get into the world of natural botanical-style aquariums and the associated arcane topics that go with them, the more and more we find that we need to be better acquainted with the basics of aquarium keeping. And the underlying theme that I keep going back to is how fishes are intimately tied to their environment. We've talked about this before. We're probably going to talk about it a million times more before this party is over. It's important to consider this when creating our aquariums and equally important to grasp this idea when creating aquariums and managing them. Lately, we've received a number of inquiries from customers wondering if it's necessary to use aeration in botanical style aquariums. And I find this interesting. Uh, on first thought, I, of course, I wanted to say, well, yeah, of course, and that, that's that. However, the idea of aeration takes on a number of associated topics and primary overarching concepts. And the primary overarching concept here is how oxygen gets to fishes, or more properly, how they extract oxygen from their aquatic environment. So first off, let's think for a bit about how fish take on oxygen. It's important to know that even though water is part oxygen, it's H2O, it's bonded with hydrogen, essentially locked together, thus making the oxygen inseparable from the hydrogen. Fish and aquatic animals cannot split oxygen from water or other oxygen-containing compounds. It needs to come from outside of the aquarium, from the surface, entering the aquatic environment via a process called gas exchange. You've all heard that one. Essentially, what happens during gas exchange is that CO2 from the water is swapped out for atmospheric oxygen. And as a side note, the larger the surface area your aquarium has, the greater the opportunity for gas exchange there is. Since fishes live in water, they need to pump water through their gills. It's an energy-consuming process, which is aided by a vast network of filament-like structures called lamellae, which are some, you know, they're so efficient that the fishes can extract the majority of the oxygen from the water which passes through them, like 80% of it. That's pretty damn efficient. And yeah, anabrantoids have another advantage. They have that extra advantage of the labyrinth organ to help them breathe atmospheric oxygen as well. It's a big advantage in the stagnant ponds that they come from in nature. Now, that's all well and good. However, because fishes live in water, duh, the bulk of them are highly dependent upon how much oxygen is available in the environment in which they live. Of course, this varies because of many factors like temperature, water depth, salt content. You know, salt water doesn't retain as much oxygen as fresh water, uh, etc., etc. So it's always a challenge, although the fishes likely don't see it as that or don't think about it, to extract as much oxygen from the water as possible. And stuff like medications and other additives or dissolved substances can cause oxygen levels to decrease in the water, making it more difficult for fishes to extract it from the water because there's less of it available. <laughs> so when you see your fishes breathing rapidly, hanging, or even gasping at the surface, it's generally a desperate attempt to extract as much oxygen as possible from the water at the most oxygen-rich location, the air-water interface. Makes sense. Temperature is important too because higher temperature water holds less oxygen than water of a cooler temperature and consequentially, the fishes, more active at higher temperatures, have to obtain more oxygen. See? It's intimately tied to their environment. Just another example of that. Now, there is a way, way more 
you know, scientific explanation to this. There's way more science behind how fishes breathe and extract oxygen from the water than my pitiful third grade style science class description here. But you get the idea that it's a process, one that shows you how fishes are intimately tied to and dependent upon the aquatic environment that we provide them. So I guess the big question, do you have to aerate the water in your botanical style aquarium? Well, it's a great question. While the water near the surface will absorb oxygen out of the air without surface agitation, less of it tends to get transferred down to the lower depths of the aquarium. Something to think about. So a supplemental aeration necessary? Necessary? No. Beneficial? Hell yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, air bubbles caused by air stones and such do facilitate oxygenation and gas exchange. Well, how, Scott? Well, bubbles create surface agitation, water movement on the surface. This lets more oxygen dissolve and more carbon dioxide to escape. A bubble provides more surface area too, letting that carbon dioxide escape and thus providing an additional location for gas exchange to take place. So while it's important and beneficial, aeration in and of itself is not a 100% absolute requirement. You need gas exchange, you need surface area. And there's a lot of ways to facilitate and support these processes. Personally, I think it starts with the type of aquarium you use. I personally like wide, shallow, all-in-one tanks because they have those built-in surface overflows which pull water from the surface, helping to skim the air-water boundary, thus facilitating better gas exchange right from the, the start. So these all-in-one tanks are great for that. In general, tanks with large, unobstructed surface area excel at facilitating gas exchange. They also make it easy for some fishes to carpet surf too, so there's a little trade-off, right? Your hatchet fishes and some of your uh, killifish like ribulas and... Uh, a certain number of uh, pencil fish that I'm familiar with tend to do that. So kind of a bummer. Now, you could also employ live plants, of course. Plants produce oxygen as a byproduct of photosynthesis. We all know this, right? When, they're, when eliminated, they consume carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. And in the absence of light, fish and plants consume oxygen and produce CO2, but do not produce oxygen. That's part of you know, the reason why you find lower dissolved oxygen levels in tanks with live plants in the early morning. Now, why do I always say that it's important not to overstock your aquarium with lots of fishes? To put it bluntly, if you have too many fishes in your aquarium, the oxygen available in the water can be consumed faster than it can be replenished. And that's a problem. Of course, there are other consequences to overstocking, like a buildup of metabolic waste that may be too great for the bacterial population in the aquarium to assimilate. We know about that, too. If you're working with a large aquarium, you'll consequently have more surface area. Even smaller aquariums with wide, shallow footprints are better than the same size tank with a small, narrow you know, tall profile. Makes sense. And the whole thing that I always bring up about adding too many botanicals at one time, you know, overdoing it, sort of starts to make sense now, right? It's all about dissolved oxygen and trying to facilitate as much of it as possible. When you add a lot of botanical materials, I think some circulation is important too. What do you say? Well, oxygen consumption by organisms living on or in the substrate, i.e., you know, where the botanicals are located, is dependent on the oxygen requirement for decomposition of the organic material accumulated on the bottom of the aquarium and for the vital functions of the life forms that live there. The dissolved oxygen content of the water layer directly in contact with the substrate is much lower than that in the upper layers of water. Kind of makes sense. So yeah, if you circulate the water well in an aquarium with a lot of material on the, on the substrate, you can help move some of the dissolved oxygen already in the water to these lower levels of the aquarium where your benthic population of organisms work and live. You know, the fungi, the microcrustaceans, worms, insects, etc., etc. So yeah, aquariums would feature deep leaf litter beds or botanical beds, and the organisms like fungi, bacteria, and microcrustaceans which work in them benefit from this gross water movement. And of course, what impacts the organisms at the bottom of the food web affects everything above it. An excerpt from one study I, I encountered on natural leaf litter beds confirms this, and I'll quote, 
These stressor effects acting on the base of the triatal, of the detrital food web are likely to directly or indirectly also affect higher trophic levels of stream ecosystems. In other words, the little tiny animals at the bottom of the food chain affect the big guys at the top of the food chain. Okay, I'm sort of all over the place with this, but the big tie-in here is that gas exchange and facilitating dissolved oxygen are fundamentally important processes in any type of aquarium, but especially so in our high dynamic, you know, botanical style systems filled with lots of leaves, seed pods, and their associated biosha. Bottom line, you certainly can run a botanical style aquarium without supplemental aeration or even filtration. If you have sufficient surface area, don't overstock and obey the common sense best practices of aquarium husbandry, which have guided our hobby for generations. It's why hobbyists in the 1920s were breeding all sorts of fishes. It's why killi keepers have successfully bred hundreds of varieties in shoeboxes, bowls, and small filterless containers for generations. Personally, I run 90% of my botanical style aquariums with filtration, providing adequate water movement and gas exchange as, you know, throughout the systems. I've experimented with filterless, non-aerated systems too, with success, because I have a basic grasp of these concepts. Many of you do too. It's not some secret knowledge that only a select few hobbyists, you know, possess. Rather, it's about common sense, observation, and understanding. So open your mind, do a little research, be patient, and just breathe. Stay careful, stay diligent, stay curious, stay educated, stay bold, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.